0: Good morning, welcome to Milton Bible Church Online. It is wonderful to have you here, and it's great to be together, even in this virtual environment. So we're just uh, gathered together to praise God, to hear from his word, and we have just a wonderful morning planned for you. But before we do that, why don't you hit like, hit share, um, give us a shout out, type in, you know, hallelujah, give us a hallelujah. But just let us know you're here and let's just be the family of god together as we meet together online a couple of announcements just a couple things for you to keep aware of as we move through july first of all august 9th as you've probably already heard we will be meeting together physically all the plans are being put on put in place We're gonna continue our church online presence. We're gonna make sure our physical site is clean and safe, uh, and we're just seeking to create a fun atmosphere uh, where we're gonna love God and love each other and have a great time together. So look forward to that, August the 9th. The other thing that I'd like to say is just uh, very briefly, we don't talk a lot about money, but I do want you to know that our year end as a church uh, takes place at the end of July and this is a time where offerings are a bit low and this is a time where our needs are great in fact at nbc we have given literally thousands of dollars away in our community to individuals to groups overseas to help with COVID relief many many things and so if you're able to and if god uh, puts it in your heart just to put a few extra dollars in the offering or Uh, giving online, I'd I'd encourage you to do that and we would welcome that and we will use it carefully and we will use it wisely. We have a great service lined up for today. Rachel Langford and the band are going to lead us in worship as well. Doug Tuge is going to come and he is going to bring us a message uh, from God's Word. It's going to be a great time together, but let's pray together as we begin and we'll look forward to all that the Lord has for us as a church and in our hearts. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we have to love you, to honor you, and to lift you up. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be first and foremost in our thoughts and in our minds and that our greatest desire would be the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to come close to you and to be conformed to your word. So we just ask, Spirit of God, that you would be with us. Transform us. Do that which we cannot do for ourselves, but that which only you can do. And we will promise to give you the thanks and the glory. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Welcome, church family. I feel that the Lord is telling us to lay down our past struggles from this past week at the throne and just worship him for who he is right now. Um, I have a scripture from Nahum 1:7. It says, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. We need to come today knowing that he is good and he is there for us. Um, why don't we just lift a prayer to him right now? Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for that you are good. Thank you that we can come today freely just to worship you in our homes, on our beds, Lord. We are here just to give you praise. Lord, you are so good. You are so great. You are the king of kings, Lord. So we're just here today to worship you wholeheartedly. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah.
2: Morning, NBC. You might be wondering who this handsome man standing in front of you is today. I've uh, I've actually been going to the church for a few years now. My name's Doug Tucci. I'm a a worship leader. My hair is normally either buzz or weird, fuzzy, and long. This is a new thing for me. First haircut in probably almost 10 years. They call this a fade. Um, Got it the other day, so if you didn't recognize me, that's why. Um, So I'm going to be talking this morning about people on a mission in a time of challenge. Over the past few years <clears throat> in the church, there's been a lot of discussion about being on mission, building missional churches, uh, being missional Christians. Uh, mission's almost become kind of a buzzword uh, in the church today. So how I want to spend our time this morning is doing four things. I want to define mission biblically. biblically. I want to clarify the scope of our mission. I want to explain why mission is necessary and lastly, I want to explain how to do it, how to go about being on mission practically. <clears throat> I think it's especially important today uh, because we're living through a pretty unique moment in time. There's a worldwide uh, public health crisis, lockdown, orders, civil unrest over, uh, over systemic racism. Uh, there's an old C.S. Lewis quote that, that came to mind that I think speaks well to the situation our world is in today. It says that pain insists on being attended to, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There's many people today that God is shouting at, reminding them of his, of his great love, answering their pain with his words of affirmation and affection, reminding them that, uh, that he's perfect in love, he's perfect in justice, that no sin evades his notice and no sin escapes his wrath. He's shouting at his church calling for them to wake up, pick up their book, pick up the book and learn because now more than ever people are asking the tough questions and we need to be prepared. As 1 Peter 3:15 says, to give an answer to everyone who asks <clears throat> you to give a reason for the hope you have. The church owns the only message that can bring real comfort, security and ultimately salvation to a world that desperately needs it. So what is our mission? The clearest passages that define what the church has come to know as mission come out of the gospels. After Jesus has risen and revealed himself to his disciples, he tells them to go out into all the nations, proclaiming the gospel, teaching, witnessing, making disciples, and teaching them to obey all the commandments. As churches in the West over centuries have moved away from a focus on theology and doctrine to a focus on practical Christian living, I would argue that the emphasis on mission has largely shifted from proclaiming the gospel teaching and witnessing to primarily making disciples and having them follow the rules. Uh, That's why we hear sayings these days like doctrine divides and service unites. We hear things like deeds over creeds because Western churches have exchanged the confidence in the preached word for confidence in themselves and their own methods. When was the last time you heard the Great Commission preach you from Mark, Luke, John, or Acts? Uh, They all have accounts of it. We hear it preached from Matthew 28 because it has a much stronger emphasis on on method rather than message. It puts the emphasis on Christian living. It tells us to make disciples. In other words, it tells us to make good Christians. Uh, It tells us to make people who are nice, to make people who are loving. It tells us to make people who have long marriages. It tells us to make people who have steady careers. It tells us to make Uh, People who raise perfect kids and never eat sugar, never eat gluten, dairy. Uh, They only drink kombucha and water. Uh, It tells us to make make people who listen to Christian music, that watch Christian movies, that eat Christian food, that don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls who do. Uh, We love being told that the Christian life is about us. We like being told that it's about what we do. The quality of my life is going to make an impact. But it's simply not true. And that way of thinking distorts the mission of the church. Look again at what we're told to do. We're told to, one, proclaim the gospel. We're told to teach. We're told to witness. We're told to make disciples. And we're told to teach them how to obey. If you notice, four out of the five things that we're called to do have more to do with our speaking and our hearing than with our doing. Why are so many Christians so scared of evangelism? And they'd... They're rather prone to service. I think it's because they've been taught, they've not been taught how to rationally communicate the gospel that they put their hope in. I used to be like that. I used to not really know how to and not be confident in my ability to proclaim the gospel, Um, and I would, I would hide under sayings like the one attributed to Francis Francis of Assisi that says uh, to preach the gospel uh, always. What does he say? Preach the gospel always, but when necessary, use words. The church needs to stop thinking that it has a monopoly on life change because it doesn't. Um, there are lots of ways that the world can help teach us how to change our lives. If people want to have healthier self-esteem, they can call Oprah. Uh, if they want to have financial freedom, they can follow Gary Vee on Twitter uh, if they want to build their house right, they can call Mike Holmes. He can help them do that. But if you want to know what you believe and why you believe it and have assurance and a rock-solid confidence in the God who created us, redeemed us, and sustains us, and know how to tell others about him, you need to be taught the content of our great and true faith. So the mission is to be reputable witnesses to the life, death, death burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. We need to remember the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 4-5, we preach not ourselves, but Christ. Passages like Philippians 2, 6-11, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 were hymns and creeds from the early apostolic church age, things that they considered centrally important and likely would have had memorized. if we want to be able to give reasons for the hope that we have, these are things that we need to know deep down in our souls. That Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the knee of, name of Jesus, every knee would bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. So the scope of our mission, the primary scope of the mission is to witness to and proclaim the finished work of Jesus for all people and to all people. <clears throat> in Acts, we read about that work beginning. Jesus tells his, tells his disciples pointedly that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the earth. Uh, and I'm sure the disciples, they would have heard, they would have, okay, Jerusalem, check, that's easy. Judea, easy. Samaria, whoa, hold on, pump the brakes, slow down here, all the earth, pff, their minds would have been blown. I've encountered people before that have told me that, the, that faith in Christ alone as a means of, of salvation is, is too exclusive. I'm a little bum-fuzzled, as, a, as Jim taught us last week, when I hear challenges like that because our call is to witness to all people everywhere. That's pretty all-inclusive. I don't know of anybody that doesn't fit under the umbrella of all people everywhere. But in digging deeper, those kinds of objections usually come from a place of pain. The people making them either been hurt or they know someone who's been hurt or excluded by the church. People are supposed to taste and see that the Lord is good, but sometimes we build fences around the church and only open up the gates to people that are like us. They look like us, they smell like us, they dress like us, and they think and they sing like us. And when people are excluded because they don't fit into the mold, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. See, we've been taught to think that missions is an overseas thing. Uh, You know, we think that our missionaries are in Mozambique or they're in Beijing, Istanbul, or Nicaragua. And yeah, they are. But one of the challenges of mission, of the mission given directly to the apostles, wasn't just to get the message out across geographic borderlines, but ethnic, racial, and religious borderlines. The call specifically to Samaria was a call to witness to your enemy, it was, a call, it was a call to deliver the bread of life directly into the hands of people that hate you and that you likely hate. To first century Jews, we know this. Samaritans were, they were an offense, they were apostate, they were hostile, they were literal enemies nationally and religiously. <clears throat> to use one of the words we're hearing a lot today, the call is to lay down our privilege the cause calls to lay down our indignation, lay down our pre- prejudices and break down the fences. We've built up by the power and authority of Jesus and sow gospel seeds indiscriminately. From this, <laughs> uh, this is gonna be a, a bit of a, bit of a big Chunk of words here from the second head of doctrine from the canons of the Synod of Dort, written over 400 years ago. It says this to ministers of the gospel The promise of the gospel is that whosoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously and without distinction to whom God, out of his good pleasure, sends the gospel. I just love that phrasing. It's such a good choice of words, promiscuously and without distinction. Why? Because the blood of Christ has the power to work for anybody. There's no one alive today that doesn't need it. There's no one that deserves it, but God offers it freely to all in accordance with his will for his glory and his good pleasure. He doesn't care if you're rich. He doesn't care if you're poor. He doesn't care if you're black, white, male, female, or other. Jew or Gentile, young or old, the blood of Jesus Christ is O-negative. He's a universal donor. So let's quickly look to, uh, to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. <clears throat> I used to wonder about this peril, uh, parable. The way, uh, the way I heard it preached was that I was supposed to make myself into the fertile soil. I don't know if you've heard sermons like that. I was supposed to make myself ready to receive. Um, I was told, you know, don't be hard, don't be unteachable and inflexible like the path. Don't be shallow like the rocky ground. Don't be consumed by worldly things like the weeds and the thorns. But if we read forward, Jesus explains the parable to his uh, disciples, and he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and and, and does not understand it, see, if we are called to be witnesses, if we are called to be those teaching and preaching all that he has done and commanded, then we are the sowers. And you know what? If I was a landscaper and I was paying an employee to seed a garden or some grass, I would fire him if he was so indiscriminate and promiscuous with the use of my seeds. Because I would have a plan. I would know that the ferns, they go over here in the shade right because they don't like direct sunlight i would know that the daisies go over here in the garden where they're going to get lots of sun i would know that the cedars are going to go over here by the property line so that they grow big and they'll provide nice shading and privacy from the neighbors but god hasn't called us to be landscape architects he's called us to be reckless indiscriminate promiscuous sowers of the gospel we like to make plans we like to develop strategies Um, And we like to develop systems for church growth, but that's not God's way. Donald A. McGavran, in the 20th century, century, he was the founder of what became known as the the church growth movement. It emphasized the importance of making disciples, the use of sociological research to develop strategies. Uh, It emphasized context and culture over over ecclesiological tradition to determine our methods. Um, it emphasized the fact that people are more naturally likely to trust and converse with people that are like them. Uh, that's called the homogenous unit principle. So the church growth movement championed the idea of uniformity and homogeny rather than diversity. It assumed that diversity hurt church health. It hurt the reception and the proliferation of the gospel. And the ideology of the church growth movement, as it spread throughout the Western world and the colonies, actually became a model for South African apartheid. You see, we're always trying to reinvent the wheel, and it rarely comes out round. Uh, We're better off to study and practice what God has told us to do. Rather, we so arrogantly trust in our own cleverness and our own fallible ingenuity over God's ways. All that to say that the scope of Christian mission is to be witnesses to all people everywhere. The target audience is vast. It's all-inclusive. And the challenge is to search yourself, find your prejudices, and expose them. The same way Jonah had to search himself because he didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he hated them in spite of the fact that it was God's call and he knew that God was going to be gracious. Uh, We need to... We need to find our privilege and leverage it so that we can reach out to and benefit all the hurting and needy people around us with the message of God's free gift of salvation to all who will simply put their trust in the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf and deal with their sin and grant them his righteousness and restore them to a right relationship with God as beloved children and heirs to his promise. So thirdly, why is mission necessary? In Matthew 24 42 Jesus says therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come mission is necessary for three primary reasons the first there's salvation in no other name the second our days are numbered and the third because the Lord's return is imminent we've covered it several times I typically cover it every time I preach because I think it's that important so I'll cover it again really quickly All people are under one of two heads. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. These are categories that the Bible lays out in in things like Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 that are crystal clear throughout the Bible. If you are in Adam, you are under his curse, earned in the very beginning. You have a disease that the Bible calls sin. That sin permeates every part of your being. Sinning is not just something that you do A sinner is who you are when you're in Adam. The wages of your sin is death. Your sin is willful rebellion against a holy and eternal God and it places you in an adversarial relationship with him, deserving of eternal punishment. There are no scales to balance. You cannot work your way back into a good relationship with God because God's perfect holiness will only accept a perfect righteousness. You need a substitute God, knowing the severity of our sin problem, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son to take on human likeness, born of the Virgin, so that he could circumvent the sin imputed to all people and live a holy and blameless life, to be obedient to the point of death on a criminal's cross, and to endure the fullness of the wrath due to us in our place as a perfect substitute. That substitutionary death and credit of a perfect righteousness is offered freely to all who will repent and trust in it so that God's justice and wrath against sin and his love for his creation could be satisfied. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved fully and only on account of his sacrificial death and imputed righteousness to us. That offer of salvation is on the table, as we've said, for all people everywhere. But mission is necessary because our days are numbered and anyone who dies in Adam rather than in Christ will receive the penalty due to them and if we truly love our neighbors we cannot possibly let them risk going another day without knowing this good news of salvation earlier in Matthew 24 Jesus likens the end of the age to, to the birth pains of a woman in labor uh, I've seen this twice now uh, maybe I'll see it again someday I don't know Jordan's about to see it soon uh, anyone who's been in the room while their wife is in labor knows that the labor pains signify the end uh, they they tell you that the, the birth of your child is imminent <clears throat> although we don't know uh, you know which contraction is going to be the very last one it'll be a surprise but that baby is coming and it's coming soon our world is in labor And it's been in labor for over 2,000 years. Mission is necessary because when Jesus returns, he'll return in judgment and to establish his eternal eternal kingdom. The faithful will be raised to new and everlasting life and the unfaithful will be raised to an everlasting destruction. This is why mission is necessary. So how do we do it? Again, 1 Peter 3.15 says... Always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia, to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. Um, this word apologia is where we get our word apologetics from. Apologetics, simply put, is, uh, is the art of Christian persuasion. It's our ability to explain the Christian worldview, what God says about creation, its nature, and its order, over against other worldviews. Part of this involves engaging Different people in different worldviews. Uh, Eastern worldviews are, are very different from Western worldviews. Naturalistic worldviews are very different from theistic worldviews. Apologetics is also the art of—it's uh, the art of persuasion. If we're informed by Scripture and believe we're right and we should, and someone else's worldview is in op- is in opposition to ours, then uh, then we should know that there's. There's a, there's a fault, there's something wrong with their worldview. <coughs> uh, something's wrong with their premises, their presuppositions, or their conclusions are wrong. Uh, we should be able to draw them out and engage them by asking leading questions. We don't need to only engage the worldviews, but also our faith within ours. Why does our faith work? What is sin, what are its consequences, and why? How does a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago address that problem for me today. How can God be loving and all-powerful and still allow COVID-19? These are questions that we should be prepared to answer uh, because a, w- a world full of hurting people are gonna start asking tough questions. Uh, no one asks the hard questions when, when life is good. But when, when your savings account has been drained, when your credit cards are maxed out, when your business is barely floating above water, uh, that's when people start to ask the tough questions and we need to have the answers. As a church, trusting that we know the truth, that we should be able to confidently answer those hard questions with, with gentleness, with love, and with grace, and we should be able to point people toward our God in faith and trust. If I can leave you with one word of encouragement in the light of being a missionary people, it would be the, <clears throat> be the word from uh, the late Francis Schaeffer, an American theologian, who said, to preach the word as true first rather than helpful. If we go to it for therapy, if we go to it for advice, if we treat it like the instruction manual for, for good living, we strip it of its power. The power and the truth that sets us free <clears throat> is in the gospel. Romans one sixteen says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I pray that you We all find peace and rest and confident assurance in that power today and that we would shout it from the rooftops tomorrow. Amen.